Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Superhumans, we're back, and it's another mind-blowing conversation here on the Decoding Superhuman podcast. My guest today is Dr. Scott Schur, and he is a board-certified internal medicine physician certified to practice health optimization medicine and a specialist in hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which is our topic today. So what did Dr. Scher and I get into? And this conversation, frankly, made my brain nearly explode. We talked everything from hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the basics, to the epigenetic effects of hyperbaric oxygen therapy. We looked at its effects on senescent cells, how you can use it as a cognitive ninja, but also how hyperbaric oxygen therapy can be used to really improve conditions like Alzheimer's. The show notes for this one are a doozy, and you're going to want to check them out. They're at decodingsuperhuman.com slash H-B-O-T. Just the letters, H-B-O-T. Enjoy my episode with Dr. Scott Schur. Dr. Schur, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Before we get started, we have a mutual friend, Tim Gray. Tim's putting on a big event this fall. Are you going to make the trip to London? I'm speaking. Boomer. That's excellent. Yeah. I'm excited. Yes. And Tim is a fantastic individual. He and I got to know each other, I guess, about a year and a half ago through some other mutual friends. And what he's been able to create with this summit is it's next level. I would I would say that only Tim would be able to pull this off within like a six month window of deciding to <laughs> want to make a summit. I'm, I'm really impressed. And I'm, are you going to be there as well? I will. Okay. I'm not speaking, awesome. but I'll be watching others like yourself and Dave Asprey among Aubrey de Grey and so many others. So it will be an excellent yeah, We sound time. like an advertisement for the conference, but, <laughs> it's, uh, but, it's, but it's actually really great. I mean, he and I spoke about uh, what he was trying to create, what he was looking to do, bring in lots of various aspects of the, of the health community together. And I really was impressed by his vision. It's something that I've talked about all the time in my own world as far as bringing together the conventional understanding of how medicine should be practiced, along with a lot of alternative ideas of really cultivating health in, in individuals and in clients and in my own clients and, and really trying to move the needle on health is, as my colleague, Dr. Ted, who's also going to be at the conference, likes to say. So uh, anyway, Tim, thanks for connecting us. And we're happy to be at your summit and to be participating, listening, speaking, imbibing, all the crazy things that you'll likely have for us to imbibe. And And it's in London. And London is an absolutely fantastic city. (laughs) But we are here today to talk about hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And I'm embarrassed to say that in over 100 episodes of this podcast, we haven't covered this topic in detail. So would you mind just for the layman explaining what is hyperbaric oxygen therapy? because I've struggled to find a a good definition to date. Sure. And it's common, Boomer, so don't feel bad that you haven't done an episode on hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But uh, now you have. Well, you're going to. So we're we're on the right track. 
Yes. So, and what's interesting about this technology is it's really so universal in the sense of what it's doing and how it works. And let me, let me break it down really simply for you. It just combines two different things. It combines increased atmospheric pressure and increased inspired oxygen. And it's a procedure or treatment that's done inter intermittently. So for a period of time, usually 60 to 120 minutes um, at a time for some period of time afterwards. And let's make that more specific. So first of all, let's talk about increased atmospheric pressure. So increased atmospheric pressure is pretty simple in the sense that when we know we're at sea level, we're at actually what's defined as one ATA or one atmosphere absolute of pressure. Now, if you go 30 feet, 33 feet below the sea, that is defined as two atmospheres of pressure. And the reason for that is if you go under seawater, for example, if you go under 33 feet of seawater and you look up, I mean, that's a decent amount of seawater. And that water is actually pretty heavy. You don't realize that the water's heavy because you're weightless in the water. But if you pick up a bucket of water, for example, the water is heavy. And it's that heaviness, that increased atmospheric pressure that we're talking about, that heaviness. And so what you're doing is by creating an environment in a chamber that simulates that pressure, you are increasing atmospheric pressure. Now, the highest place above sea level, you probably know, is Mount Everest. Um, not a very healing environment, right? <laughs> but most people, some people die. Not everybody, especially if they don't have, if, if you don't have actually extra oxygen. Um, but the, one of the more healing places on the planet is the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is the lowest place under, under sea level that's not underwater. The Dead Sea is known, has been known for thousands of years to be a healing environment. And some people think it's the mud, some people think it's the water, but a lot of it is actually just the air is pressurized there because it's under sea level or below sea level. So we know that pressurized environments can be healing. And we didn't really know why for a long period of time until really the, I mean, we're not going to go through a full history lesson here, but basically in like the late 1800s when they were building bridges and they were digging underneath the water, they realized that these pressurized containers underneath the water were helping people dig out bridges. But if they came out too fast from these pressurized containers, they would get these really terrible symptoms called the bends or later known as decompression illness. But if they went back in, those symptoms would go away because they were under that pressure again. So coming out of pressure too quickly was actually causing injuries. Um, and they didn't really understand this until like the late 1800s. And, and then it wasn't until the 1900s or a little bit after like the 1920s um, that it was really understood that it, what was happening is that you had this physiological shift that was happening under pressure. And so what we do in the chamber is we, we can repressurize people to those same depths that they were under the water to actually change their physiology back, to reintroduce physiology basically to a way that helps reorient the system in a way that prevents you know, those injuries from happening. So long story short, the first thing we're doing in the chamber is increasing atmospheric pressure, okay? The second thing that we're doing in the, the chamber is increasing inspired oxygen. So at sea level, we have 21% oxygen in, in the air that we breathe. In a hyperbaric chamber, we're increasing that amount of oxygen to upwards of 100%. And what we're doing there is increasing oxygen carrying capacity of the system when you combine it with pressure. So typically, oxygen carrying capacity is dependent on how many red blood cells you have in circulation. 
if you have oxygen that gets inspired, that oxygen gets stuck on your red blood cells when you breathe in, and then that oxygen gets unbound or released when you get to tissues. You know, without oxygen, we die after about a, a two, four minutes, depending on the person. But what oxygen is really doing at the cellular level is becoming an electron receptor for the electron transport chain in the mitochondria, creating water. So you need oxygen to create water molecules and to create energy at the cellular level. Okay. So typically we only have a certain amount of red blood cells and that's our oxygen carrying capacity. And there's two ways to increase your oxygen carrying capacity. One way is to increase your number of red blood cells. And there's legal ways to do that. And there's illegal ways to do that, depending on the situation. The legal way... The illegal ways we're speaking of, those are ones we've heard from Tour de France. Yes, Lance. Yes. So epigen, right? So epigen is a drug that increases your red blood cell mass. Another way to do that is what's called autotransfusion. So you have these bicycle guys and other athletes that will get it, get their own blood taken out about 90 days or 180 days before a race. And then right before they go on and do their race or do their trials or whatever it might be, they reintroduce that same blood right before because they're now increasing their oxygen carrying capacity. So the, the legal way to do that is altitude training. So if you're going to be training at altitude, that's also going to stimulate that natural hormone called epigen to actually stimulate more red blood cell mass. So if you live at altitude, you actually have a little bit of a higher red blood cell mass than if you lived at sea level, you know, for example. So there's another way to increase oxygen carrying capacity though. That other way is by saturating the liquid of your blood or the plasma of your blood. It doesn't have a lot of oxygen in it at sea level um, inside of a chamber, okay? Because if you pressurize your body and you increase the amount of oxygen that you breathe, physiologically what happens because of a law called Boyle's law, no, I'm sorry, Charles law, Charles law, um, Charles law states the more gas that is pressurized, the more of that gas will go from a, a gaseous form to a liquid form. So we're basically diffusing liquid O2 that's unbound into the body, into the plasma. And that, that amount of oxygen is basically unlimited. We let, in the chamber, we typically can get upwards about 12 times or 1200% more oxygen in circulation. So to take it a step back again, all we're doing in the chamber is combining increased atmospheric pressure, that heaviness, and increased inspired oxygen together to drive more oxygen into circulation. And it's that oxygen, that extra oxygen, that's manifesting in many different ways in the system. And both in the acute setting of the acute oxygen exposure, as well as the more long-term benefits of being in a chamber for a protocol for a longer period of time, depending on the indication, that has an epigenetic shift on the DNA itself expressing and suppressing various genes that are responsible for healing. So what I, last thing I would say before I'm sure you have questions is that I like to think about hyperbaric oxygen therapy doing four basic things. The first thing it does is immediately decrease inflammation and over the long term epigenetically decreases inflammation the way I've described. It reverses hypoxia immediately by infusing the body with oxygen and over the long term recreating blood vessels that may have been damaged or that may have degenerated over time. The third thing it does is it kills bugs. So it does so basically bugs that do not like oxygen environments, it, it basically directly kills them by causing an increase of oxidative stress on those bugs directly because of that extra oxygen. 
And the fourth thing it does, and probably most importantly over the long term, is that it causes an exponential release of stem cells, both from the bone marrow as well as neurologic tissue. And these stem cells, which I'm sure your audience knows about, can recreate any tissue that's needed in the system that's been injured, degenerated, inflamed over time. And it does that immediately, and it does it over the long term as well with a protocol of therapy. Wow. You gave me a lot that I can go with there. So let's start by first breaking down a couple of things. Sure. What is the difference between hyperbaric and normative oxygen therapy? Is normative or hyperbaric just 10x what normative is? So do you mean normobaric oxygen or? Yeah, normobaric, sorry. Yeah, so well, at least my definition of normobaric um, is, uh, and the definition that's usually used in the literature, normobaric oxygen is that you're breathing oxygen, uh, some amount at sea level, okay? So normobaric oxygen at sea level can be the 21% oxygen that's in the environment around us, or it could be up to 100%. You could do 100% normobaric oxygen, which is a, basically a face mask that's just giving you 100% oxygen at the same time as you're, you know, you're just breathing at sea level, okay? And so you cannot get that saturation in the plasma with normobaric oxygen. The only way you can get that saturation in the plasma is with a hyper, H-Y-P-E-R, hyperbaric environment where you increase atmospheric pressure. The opposite is also true in the sense that you, if you go to a hypo, H-Y-P-O, baric environment where you have less pressure, you're going to have less oxygen in circulation at any oxygen that you'd be breathing, okay? And so we can use that therapeutically like we talked about for altitude training. There's also some therapeutic value for intermittent hypoxia as well especially if you have a relatively normal physiology and you don't have a lot of inflammation. So um, I hope that answers your question. But um, so what they've done in the past is they've, they've looked, at, looked at physiologic changes that happen with normobaric pressures. So normal pressures with 100% oxygen along with hyperbaric pressures uh, with 100% oxygen or some variation of, of oxygen uh, inspired uh, as well. So you mentioned something there that's very interesting, and that is oxidative stress. For many listening here, they may hear the phrase oxidative stress and think or immediately associate it with something bad. Why in the case of hyperbaric oxygen therapy is oxidative stress a good thing? I appreciate you asking the question because it's a really important distinction to make. Exercise is oxidative stress. Sauna is oxidative stress. Cold is oxidative stress. The body actually is very, very in tune with oxidative stress. It's important. You don't want to have too much. That is for sure. But having some in the system makes the system more optimal. And that's what's happening in the chamber. So you have this flood of oxygen that, that's occurring. We're 1,200% more oxygen in circulation, depending on the indication. That extra oxygen, the way it works is via oxidative stress. So by actually that oxidative stress causing an epigenetic shift on the DNA, like we're talking about, 
with expression and suppression of various genes. What's also happening, though, in the chamber, especially if you have the capacity, and this is important, if you have the capacity to have a reactive antioxidant surge, because what also happens in the chamber is it actually causes a reactive surge in antioxidant me mechanisms like NRF2 pathways, superoxide dismutase, glutathione, everything, all those antioxidant pathways do get upregulated. So the body does create this response. It's almost like a hormetic response like you'd have from exercise or from any other sort of oxidative stress. So, but it's important when you're talking about oxidative stress to put this in context for the person that's in front of you, you know, whether that be you individually or for me, if the client's in front of me, I have to be considerate of what I believe and hopefully not just what I believe, what I've actually tested in the person in front of me, what are their oxidative stress uh, capacity? What is their oxidative uh, stress capacity? Are they already inflamed? Do they already have significant deficiencies in, in some of the antioxidants? Are they vitamin deficient, mineral deficient? You know, and for me, it's really important to distinguish uh, the individual in front of me. Is this an acute indication? Do they just need to get into the chamber and we need to support them the best we can uh, because they've had an acute injury? And I know hyperbaric therapy can cause this shift this physiological shift very quickly and help with the healing process? Or is it somebody that's had a long-term issue that wants to use hyperbaric therapy in more of a synergistic way, but also requires a very significant focus on that foundational health first before we get them into a chamber because we are producing an oxidative stress for hyperbaric therapy to work. Now, the, only, the last thing I would say is that there's various levels of oxygen and pressure that we use depending on the indication too. And if I'm going to a more superficial pressure, that's more of a neurologic pressure typically, I don't worry as much about the oxidative stress that's going to happen as opposed to going to deeper pressures where we know that that's going to cause a more of an oxidative stress. Basically how much oxygen, increased oxygen we're gonna be putting into the system. All right, so you mentioned genetics and epigenetics a couple of times, you said NRF2. And more out of curiosity, before you put someone in a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, are you looking at genes? Because I would imagine that someone with variants for pro-inflammatory cytokines, for instance, may be at higher risk. Sure. So I, I typically look at metabolomics. And metabolomics is the study of the metabolome, not very helpful, but it's the study of metabolites, <laughs> basically all the working molecules at the cellular level. So how your body breaks down macronutrients, protein, carbohydrates, fats, both on the macro side as, as well as the micronutrients that the body needs. And so this is vitamins, minerals, toxins, cofactors, amino acids, fatty acids, energy metabolism, the citric acid cycle. So this is a part of a program that I take my clients through called health optimization medicine with a Z, health optimization medicine, because you know we're in the US here. Nice. So, um, health optimization medicine was founded by a mentor and colleague of mine. His name is Dr. Ted Atracoso. And what Dr. Ted did is he created a program that was more health focused. Um, it's similar in some ways to functional medicine, but it's it's but the focus is different. Rather than focusing on the root cause, it's more focused on the cellular, immune, gut, overall health of the system. Uh, there's a word that that he likes to use and that I use now too, called the holobiont, 
H-O-L-O-B-I-O-N-T. You and are it, going to have to explain that Yeah, no, that it's a really one. cool. It's a cool concept where, you know, we are this, we, we are, you know, we, we think of ourselves like, my name's Scott. I have, you know, I have a body and I have cells, right? But then I also have all these bacteria, all these viruses, all this fungus that's inside of me, that's around me, that the environment has the stimuli on me, the light, the, the temperature, um, everything around you basically and inside of you is, is all a part of the sort of collective you. And that is the holobiont basically. <clears throat> so the idea with health optimization medicine is to create a health focused plan that takes into account all of those things using a quantified, quantified lens. So looking at metabolomics is a really important part of it. Also looking at gut, the gut microbiota, looking at um, immune health, epigenetics, evolutionary biology, toxins in your environment, chronobiology, you know, the circadian rhythm, rhythms and things like that. So what I try to do with my clients is to take them through this health-focused way of, of understanding their foundation. And I, I work with a lot, of, a lot of fantastic individuals in functional medicine and all different types of technologies um, and, you know, the lack thereof, like, you know, psychiatrists and coaches and 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 sort of ancient kinds of things too, meditation practices send people to the jungle maybe you know depending on what they need but but so all of that is is my health focused practice and i use hyperbaric therapy as sort of let's call it my foundational biohack right in the sense that once your your health foundation is really you know humming or at least getting there then hyperbaric therapy can really take it to the next level so um and so your your question about genes I don't look at genes exactly because I don't feel like the genes are the best way to really understand how the system is working in real time. It's nice to kind of know what your risk factors are over the long term, but if you don't compare it to what's actually happening, you know, you don't know the expression of a certain gene. You know, the most common one that you you probably know about and a lot of people in this world know about is MTHFR, right? So you talk about how you may be heterozygous for this or homozygous. I don't really care, honestly. Um, because I can tell you how well you're doing by looking at your metabolome. You know, I can how I can see how well you're doing with your vitamins. Like, what are the metabolites looking like? Are you deficient in in, in folate? Are you deficient in B12? Are you deficient in B6? I can see this, and I go, okay, you know, you probably are a poor methylator, right? But does that mean that you just need methylated vitamins? No, you need more than just that. Almost everybody is a shitty methylator in some capacity. In fact, so that if everybody's always there's like, I mean, if the, the best person that I think that I've heard describe this is a guy named Chris Masterjohn. If you've ever listened to some of the Yeah, I love Chris's yeah. stuff. So Chris is great at describing this, and I think it's a fantastic perspective. So what I feel is best, given the work that I do in, in the chamber, but now also health-focused practice, is that you have to think about these in context of what's actually happening and what's clinically relevant. And I'm a clinician. I see, I see clients. I see patients in, in, a, in a lot of different capacities. So my, and you know, looking at genome is fun. And I think that it's good in some ways, but it's not a, it's not a sentence in any way, right? If you have a APOE4 gene, you're not going to get Alzheimer's all the time, right? If you have the BRCA1 gene, you're not always going to get breast cancer and have to lop off your breasts. I mean, these are things that just need to be looked at in context, right? So in my world, it's about nuance and, and it's about, but it's also about data-driven nuance. All right. So I've been fascinated by this and we can scratch this question if we need to, but metabolomics, 
Is there a lab and test you recommend that's accessible for people? Yeah, so health optimization medicine, we are partnered with uh, Genova Diagnostics. And Genova's in South Carolina, North Carolina, Asheville. I, Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, they, you know, I always forget which of the Carolinas for whatever reason. It's a block. But maybe because I, I get, the, their Southern accent's so cute, but I, I also get scared of the South. So <laughs> being from the East, the Northeast, you know. <clears throat> My parents live right down the street from Genova. Oh, fantastic. I heard it's a great town, actually. But, it's a beautiful um, town. But so Ted, Dr. Ted has been working with Genova for many years. Um, and they really have one of the best metabolomic profiles out there. I mean, they're, it's comprehensive and it's a test called the NutriVal. And oh, so yeah. Use the NutriVal. I love that test. Yeah, it's great. I mean, so Genova has a great test. Their interpretation is pretty general, let's call it. They don't give you a lot of specific information because they really can't as a lab. So what we do, so what I should also mention too, is that Health Optimization Medicine is a nonprofit company that's educating doctors on how to practice what I just described to you, okay? And so the nonprofit has a relationship with Genova, also has some relationships with um, some supplement manufacturers and another company called Fullscript, which is a supplement aggregator uh, where you can, as a clinician, you can go on, and I use it all the time, to help my clients sort of pick the supplements that would be best for them, what they need. So there's the nonprofit, but there's there's my own personal health optimization medicine practice that's based in San Francisco, where I do this work with clients individually. Okay, so I should just mention that. So I use the NutriVal in my, in my personal health optimization medicine practice as my mainstay for metabolomics. There's also Great Plains Lab. They also have a pretty good one as well. So people like that one. <clears throat> my colleagues uh, have a lot of, uh, a lot of good, uh, good feedback, and I do use theirs on occasion as well. Um, I, what I think is really important, though, when you're looking at metabolomics is that it's really important to, to, like everything else, you have to look at the person in front of you. Um, but the interpretation should be done in a way that is also, I think, taking in data from other sources. So we use gut microbiota along with food sensitivity, immune sensitivity together as our core three tests. Because what you're looking at when you do those three is that you can get a real good sense of how to, the cellular health really is a manifestation of all three right? And gut health is also a manifestation of all three. You can get signs of gut dysbiosis by looking at organic acid testing on the metabolomic tests. So we used all three together as our core tests when we're looking at health optimization medicine, and that's what I do in my practice. So my practice now, it used to be more sort of a core integrative hyperbaric focus where I would do a little bit of supplements, a little bit of stuff along with hyperbaric therapy, and then refer for lots of cool things like neurofeedback and lights and sauna, and then integrative oncology if you had cancer. And I still do all of that, but now my focus has become more uh, on this foundation that we're discussing, the foundational health, along with hyperbaric therapy, and then still leveraging in a very in a very nice way, leverage in a good way, all the people that I that I that I love and adore in all these other fields that are doing some fantastic work. And my my favorite thing to do probably is is the collaborative part with other physicians and colleagues, and and really having these fantastic synergies in that capacity too. So let's transition back to the hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And before we get into some of the use cases that you've seen, I want to talk a little bit about those epigenetic shifts. 
You mentioned earlier the NRF2 cascade leading to increased production of glutathione and other antioxidants. But what are some of the other genes that get expressed differently, either through some of the research that you've read or you've personally experienced? Sure. Um, So pressure, there's a significant number of pressure-related genes. We know that for sure. We think there's about 8,000 or so that change under pressure and oxygen. And most of them haven't been well described yet. What I can say is that they've looked at various genes that are responsible for growth and various genes that are responsible for inflammation. So angiogenesis um, is a very important part of what happens in a hyperbaric chamber. Angiogenesis is the creation of new blood vessels, new blood vessels, to be clear. So new blood vessels are created in areas of injury, in areas of degeneration. And so some of the factors that are, evo- that are involved in that, we, uh, in the acute setting, it's nitric oxide pathways. Um, and, and then in the more long-term pathways are the VEGF types of pathways. Um, and so, um, and there's various other pathways. One, another one called HIF or hypoxic inducible factor pathway, which is an interesting one because you wouldn't think in a chamber you would be getting uh, hypoxic inducible factor released. And it's a very interesting concept here, but follow me for a second. So you're going in a hyperbaric chamber. We talked about going under pressure, driving more oxygen in circulation, breathing more oxygen. So what we do, especially at deeper pressures, is that every 30 minutes or so, instead of breathing 100% oxygen, either in the chamber around you or in a face mask, we have you breathe 21% oxygen again. So that 21% oxygen is either in a face mask or in the air around you, depending on the type of chamber. The pressure can be either pressurized with air and you breathe 100% oxygen, or the chamber can be pressurized with 100% oxygen and you breathe a mask of air, just to be clear. Okay, so, but we're taking you from 100% oxygen to 21% oxygen. That is a relative hypoxia right? So you're starting, you know, it doesn't seem like it would be a hypoxia because you're going back to normal oxygen levels. But in this case, we're going from 100% to 21%. The body thinks of that or senses that as a relative hypoxia. As a result of that relative hypoxia, you're getting the stimulation of hypoxic inducible factor, which is a cytokine hormone that will create an environment that releases more stem cells and then also creates new blood vessels. So that's a very important one. And it's actually a newer one in the last several years that we've realized that's happening in the chamber. We're not usually using that time initially or historically that air break or that break of going from 100% oxygen to 21% oxygen wasn't used because of HIF, hypoxic inducible factor. It was used to potentially prevent oxygen toxicity which we can talk about, of course, later. Um, But what we're realizing now is that air break, that break of 100% oxygen, is actually causing HIF to be released. And as a result of that release, new stem cells are being released, new blood vessels are being formed, senescent cell populations are being downregulated. So senescent cells are these old cells. Senescent means old. They're these old cells that are not dividing anymore. They're not really contributing to metabolism anymore but they're actually contributing to inflammation and they're contributing to aging, as it were. So senescent cell populations get down-regulated. And what we think is happening is that they're actually regenerating themselves or killing themselves off, but most likely regenerating themselves 
in, in these environments. So um, angiogenesis, I've mentioned. Uh, the other, I just want to mention inflammation as well. So there's the downregulation in IL-1, IL-6, IL-8, and IL-12, I think. Those have all been uh, described, and also TNF-alpha, which is another uh, significant inflammatory cytokine that is responsible, and it's actually a drug target for things like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, and some of the other um, autoimmune phenomenon. So we know that hyperbaric therapy downregulates TNF-alpha as well. But I, but I guess I should also mention that this is not happening immediately. When we're talking about epigenetic stimulus, we're talking about a intermittent hyperoxic, um, intermittent hyperbaric oxygen therapy exposure that's happening over a period of time. To see these shifts, we're usually talking about 20 to 40 or even sometimes more hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments done successively, Monday through Friday typically, with the weekends off because everybody needs a weekend off. No, it's also good for the body to recover too. Um, but for a period of time of two months or three months. And that's where you see these major shifts. And the Israelis actually are the pioneers here. They've done work. They have a program called the Reverse Aging Program, rejuvenative, rejuvenative program in Israel, where they're doing three months, 60 treatments in a hyperbaric chamber. And they are showing how the brain regenerates blood vessels over that time. They're doing pictures of the brain before using MRIs and using, they're previously using spec scans, but now they're using functional MRI and DTI, which is another functional image of the brain. And they're repeating these things in 60 treatments and the brain regenerates, the heart regenerates, the genitals, the penis regenerates. They've, been, they've published a study in the last six months on erectile dysfunction and showing how hyperbaric therapy can regenerate blood vessels in the penis, for example, to help with erectile dysfunction. So anyway, that was a lot of information, but you get the sense of that the epigenetic shift is, is real, but it doesn't happen immediately. You mentioned five times a week over a period of six months. How long are each of those sessions? So each session is about 60 to 120 minutes long, sometimes shorter. Um, a lot of it depends on the indication. And that's kind of where you're going next, right? So before you ask about specific indications, or we can talk about them in any capacity you'd like, but I, I break it down, and I've already kind of mentioned this, but into the, ex the acute oxygen exposure versus the long-term benefit of being in a hyperbaric chamber in the sense of the, those epigenetic shifts that we've been talking about, and then those cytokines and those genetic changes. But the acute oxygen exposure can be very, very helpful for a lot of different reasons especially if there's an acute injury or acute hypoxia. That could be anything from a surgery. You go get a surgery like a hip replacement or an ACL repair. It could be anything or as significant as like an acute spinal cord injury, where if you can reoxygenate tissue, an acute stroke, an acute heart attack, if you can reoxygenate tissue very quickly, you can potentially prevent tissue from dying, right? Because if you have a blockage in a blood vessel, for example, but we have infused so much oxygen into the system, that oxygen is free form in the plasma, not just bound to red blood cells. That oxygen is going to diffuse outside of a blood vessel about four times further than it would outside of a hyperbaric condition. So if you can imagine, you can get oxygen downstream of a blockage or of an injury four times further, potentially preventing that tissue from dying in, in the face of an injury. So it could be very significantly helpful 
in an acute injury. So acute trauma is something that hyperbaric therapy has been doing for a long time and is very, very helpful. And now new studies are coming out on acute stroke, acute heart attacks. Um, those are the two main ones that, I, that I've been very interested in recently. And of course, acute uh, spinal cord injuries as well. So in the case of an acute heart attack, you've already had it, you've been cleared yes. by your doctor, and then you go in the chamber. So yes, exactly. So you have your acute heart attack, you get revascularized, you get, you, know, you go to the hospital, you know, for God's sakes, go to the hospital. Don't come to my office. Yeah. yeah. Don't go yeah. to the chamber first. Yes. I appreciate that. Yeah. So it's, I have to say, go to the hospital, get stable. And then, so they did a study recently looking at uh, if you got revascularized. So for example, you had a heart attack, you had a blockage in a blood vessel, you got a stent in that blood vessel, then you immediately got into a hyperbaric chamber afterwards, you saved heart tissue. So your heart would potentially function at a more normal capacity, uh, more optimal capacity after doing that. The same thing with stroke um, and traumatic brain injury for that matter. So like severe concussions. They did a study looking at just three hyperbaric sessions in three successive days in these patients that had severe traumatic brain injuries and their mortality was half, 50% less. And their morbidity or disability was also just about 50% better. Just three treatments over three days right after the injury. So, because what happens is that if you get into a chamber quickly, your body can now utilize that oxygen to help stimulate the whole healing process. We haven't talked about this in detail, but basically it's, it's allowing the whole healing process to happen faster. So you get, new, you get new stuff, new stem cells to the tissue very quickly. You decrease inflammation very quickly. You decrease swelling very quickly. And interestingly enough, you constrict blood vessels quickly too. So the constriction of the blood vessels for optimal performers and people that um, are coming in for health reasons, we, I have different ways of sort of you know, biohacking them in a way to prevent that from happening. But in the acute setting, when you have trauma, you want those blood vessels to constrict because less stuff, less liquid, less stuff that you know, could potentially be harmful to the stuff outside that blood, that blood vessel leaks out. And so, and if it's your brain, you don't want a lot of swelling because that's going to kill you. So in fact, what they saw in that traumatic brain injury study is the people that benefited the most from being in the chamber are the people with the highest, were the people that had the most intracranial pressure because it decreased intracranial pressure. And that pressure stayed down until the next hyperbaric treatment. So the other thing I should mention about vasoconstriction is that even though the vessels are constricted, just like we've been talking about, there's more oxygen that's saturated in the liquid of the blood. So the net is that there's still more oxygen delivered despite there being a smaller caliber of the blood vessel itself. Now, if you have somebody that comes in for like optimal performer, biohacker types of reasons, there are ways to potentially do treatments beforehand that help vasodilate to prevent some of that vasoconstriction to happen. And this is when you get into the fun stuff of what, what you can do, but you can do things like cryotherapy. You have the reactive vasodilation after you constrict down in the cold. You have sauna, which you can do, which helps dilate blood vessels. You have lights, you have pulse electromagnetic field technology. Um, you have supplements you can take, you know, lots of things you can do. But that's what I will do for people that are doing it more for sort of the biohacking, optimal performance side of things. So let's get into some of these use cases. There's three I want to touch on. I know there's many, but there's three specifically I'd love to just have a little chat about. The first one is optimizing performance. Really, we have a lot of people that listen to this show with the sole aim of optimizing performance. 
The second one, and because you mentioned it, I'd just like to double click on it a little bit more, is senescence. And since you mentioned senescence, I imagine there's some benefits from a longevity and anti-aging perspective for this. And then the third is Alzheimer's. I'd love to go a little bit deeper on this, mainly because people listening to this podcast either have family members who have been affected, have a history of family members who have been affected, or may just know someone who's been affected. Sure. So if we could start first on the Alzheimer's front and maybe end a little bit more on a positive note, that would be amazing. All right. So you guys are probably wondering, what are the brands of blue light blockers that I recommend? Well, one of them is the sponsor for today's podcast. And they are Blue Blocks. I've had the CEO, Andy Mant, on the show before where we got into a really deep dive on blue light. And you know that if you get any amount of blue light in your glasses, no matter if it's 3%, 10%, whatever, it does disrupt melatonin production. And so Andy has created blue light blockers that hold up to the highest standards. And in fact, and I'll link to it in the show notes, you can see when he's tested it versus other brands that they always come out on top. And so quality is a thing I appreciate and is what exactly I recommend for all of our clients. But if you head over to blueblocks.com, that's B-L-U-B-L-O-X.com and plug in the code DS15, you're going to get 15% off. And now on with the show. What I will first say is that it's all related, okay? And it's it's all it's all in the same wheelhouse here, man, right? So, um, <clears throat> but really, what it comes down to is that that physiologic changes that are happening in the chamber, they will happen to somebody that has Alzheimer's. They will happen to somebody that is an optimal performer. New blood vessels, reversing hypoxia, decreasing inflammation, new stem cell release, killing bugs. That's all that's happening, no matter who's going into the chamber, okay? But the person is the person in front of you with the, and we personalize our treatments, we have to, to the person in front of us. And that's, of course, what I do. And somebody with Alzheimer's, it's it's a very different scenario in some ways, in the sense that they've had X amount of years getting to the point where now they have Alzheimer's, right? It now they're manifesting with cognitive decline. They're manifesting with behavioral problems. They're manifesting with, uh, with incontinence and all these other things that happen. So dementia in, in, in sort of larger terms is, is a very big bucket. And, people, and there's a lot of different ideas of what dementia means. There's a lot of controversy as to why you have Alzheimer's, why you get Alzheimer's. Um, but what I think everybody can understand and I think everybody can agree on um, and what I agree on, uh, what I believe too, is that this is a lifestyle thing. This is a, uh, a behavior thing. This is a, a dietary thing that can all be addressed on that capacity. If they're not, no matter what else you do, no matter how much hyperbaric therapy I give somebody, it's not going to be as effective as addressing some of that foundational stuff or as much of that foundational stuff as possible first. So when I have somebody that comes into my office that has Alzheimer's, and I've had patients like this, and they say, you know, doc, I have Alzheimer's or my, my loved one, they just got diagnosed with cognitive decline, you know, what should I do? What should, I, should we need to get in the chamber? And because I've heard from your podcast, I've heard from talking to you that, you know, it decreases inflammation, it's going to get, give them new blood vessels. And I go, that's all true, that it will do those things. But it's not the first thing that you need to do. 
Because if you just go in there without working on that foundation first, it's not going to be effective or not as effective or not a long-term solution. It may help in the short term, but in the long term, all that physiology is still the same that, as it was before. And there's nothing that we're doing to change that in the chamber in the sense of whatever that baseline was. So these are the patients. I mean, I get a lot of people that, that, that contact me and say, you know, Scott, can hyperbaric therapy help for my migraines? Can it help for my chronic fatigue syndrome? Can it help for my Alzheimer's? Can it help for my Parkinson's? Can it help for my, my reflex sympathetic dystrophy? I mean, you name it. And I go, yes, it can. But if you don't work on this stuff beforehand, and that's what, and that's what was missing from my practice for a while, Boomer, was, was, this, was this foundational approach. Usually I would refer to my, my colleagues, and I still do, but now I have health optimization medicine, which is my foundation. I'm like, if you guys really want this to be a sustainable long-term outcome of improved quality of life, longevity, all of that, you really need to think about doing this work first. If you don't, and the Israelis, for example, are not doing this kind of work, right? They're just putting people in the chamber. And, and I asked them this. I'm like, well, what about all the stuff they're doing before? They're going to McDonald's or, you know, the Israeli equivalent of McDonald's. I don't know, the hummus shop, you know, or whatever. But, <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm like, well, what do you, I mean, and so they're, I mean, they're doing things incrementally, but, it, but it's a good business model, right? I mean, say, hey, you know, you come in, you get three months of treatment. You come in every year, every two years to get a re-up. You can keep doing all the crappy things that you're doing. And then we give you a re-up. You feel better for six, nine months and you come back. That's not how I like to practice in general. My feeling is that it's a sustainable, it's a sustainable path that I'm, I'm hoping to, to, to be a part of with my clients. And so I feel like I'm doing them a disservice if I don't give them the perspective that we're describing here. So I do feel like hyperbaric therapy can be fantastic in patients that have Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and other cognitive decline. The sooner, the better, of course, but not sort of the end stages. It's going to be a lot more difficult to see huge changes. But in CTE, for example, so chronic traumatic encephalopathy from chronic traumatic brain injuries, I've seen some fantastic shifts. I've, I've seen really fantastic shifts, even with long-standing issues, if they approach their diet, their lifestyle, uh, their behaviors in a very holistic way, along with getting into the chamber. Now, that, if you have an acute issue, like we talked about, all of that may not, may not be necessary. I can throw a bunch of supplements at you, throw a bunch of technologies at you, and usually you're going to get better because the body has this fantastic way of healing. Um, if you're really inflamed beforehand, we can, we can work on that if, if there's an acute need for it. Um, but from a longevity perspective, I want to get there too. What we're really doing in the chamber, like I said, is regenerating the system, okay? Senescent cell down regulation, new blood vessels, new stem cells, you know, a heart that has more blood vessels to help with oxygen carrying capacity. So that's endurance right there. New br brain blood vasculature, new scaffolding around that blood vasculature, so new connective tissue, new uh, support cells like glial cells, new neurons. I mean, we're seeing all this stuff happen using functional imaging of the brain and of the heart. So what I mean by that is like, we can actually look at metabolic activity of the brain using functional MRI and, and something called diffuser, diffusion tensor imaging, or it's another type of MRI scan. And there's all these really cool different new technologies that are coming out where you can measure blood flow and metabolic activity and nerve fiber, uh, nerve fiber caliber, basically, or these, um, these nerve track fiber calibers. So we're doing all of this. Uh, the Israelis are doing a lot of it. And you can see how the body's regenerating itself. So what I like to think about and say is that, you know, what is aging but a sort of chronic wound that just does not get better? 
in some capacity, whether it be traumatic, vascular, degenerative, autoimmune, whatever. It's all going to have inflammation. It's all going to have, you know, some sort of vascular degeneration over time. And so, you know, I talk to 50-year-olds all the time. I'm like, look, if I look at your brain under an MRI scan right now, it's going to say that you have microvascular ischemic changes. That means you're having small strokes, plain and simple. We all are after about 50 or so. And then there's actually this really cool thing you guys can Google online where you can see, I don't know if you've ever seen this, Boomer, it's super cool, where you can actually, they did a study looking at 70-year-old brains doing an MRI scan every week for like seven months, and you see all these strokes happening, but they're all subclinical, which means that these patient, patients were not having any symptoms. So our blood vessels are just, we call it ticking away, dying away over time. This is what aging is, and what hyperbaric therapy can do is regenerate a lot of this stuff. In the context, in my world, of looking at it in a larger picture, why are they degenerating? Aging is not, you know, you are not relegated to having this process happen. Not everybody will have this process happen if they are healthy, if they are focusing on their foundation. Um, as Dr. Ted likes to say, my colleague and mentor, you know, if you're eating well, sleeping well, loving well, you know, have good relationships, you know, are you taking care of your cells? Are you taking care of your gut? If you're doing this stuff, you don't have to have aging be a bad thing. You know, um, in the anti-aging world, you know, people think of anti of aging as a as a disease in some sense. And so, what we're doing in health optimization medicine is try, is looking to balance back to being a 21 to 30 year old those same levels of metabolites, those same levels of those same ecosystem, the same ecosystem of the gut, uh, the immune system, and even hormones as well, if it's done in a very methodical way. Um, at the same time, pe people have issues now that they need to deal with. And that's when products and other types of biohacking types of technologies are great. And, and I still use all of those in my practice too. All right. So I love what you say just there. Something very similar comes to mind, which is you cannot supplement a shitty diet. But now I want to transition a little bit more into the performance optimization side of things. Uh, we work with a lot of cognitive ninja types, as I call them. But I know you also spend a lot of time with the cognitive ninjas, as well as the athletes. And I would love to hear some of the things that those people experience. I understand structurally there may be some similar effects, but some of the things and use cases that they experience sure. would be very valuable. Yeah, that's yeah, it's fun. It's a lot of fun. Um, I I enjoy working with with all different uh, types of people, uh, from the really complex medical issues to the the very high high optimal performers. And so I live in Silicon Valley, and so the Silicon Valley elite guys uh, that are running these companies are always looking for, for an edge. And so I, I work with many of them, uh, although they don't like to be talked about specifically, uh, because they're all sort of looking for the edge on, you know, their competition. And I don't, you know, I don't see it as a competition. I don't, I don't care who, which company is winning. <laughs> um, as long as they're being benevolent and I'll also speak my mind if I feel like they're not. Um, but, um, but at the same time, um, we're seeing significant, significant cognitive benefits for these guys. And so, um, you know, a lot of people that are on airplanes all the time, a lot of jet lag, a lot of people that are looking to, uh, be in meetings and, and speak their best or memory. Um, so what I, I can say there, there was a study done on college students in China that looked at just five days of hyperbaric therapy. They did MRI scans before, 
these functional scans that we're talking about, and they did MRIs afterwards. And they also took this Chinese exam, which I guess is very stressful. And it's one of those exams that, you know, that allows you to get a very significant place in the, one of the very few. Determines uh, your right. path in life. Right. Yeah. I think in India, there's something similar and like in some other countries where there's only like five schools for like a billion people. So it's, <laughs> that, I mean, there's more than that, but there's like the five elite schools, of course. So anyway, so what they were able to show is what hyperbaric therapy was able to do just over five treatments was improve executive function improve the ability to have better visual spatial recognition, the ability to take things out of long-term storage, the hippocampus, and bring them into your short-term memory, so your executive function, your frontal lobe, and, and then also the opposite, to actually retain more in long-term storage from your frontal lobe after learning something. So task-oriented frontal lobe executive function was significantly improved being in a chamber just five times. So these are college students, right? So they're pretty healthy. They're at their optimal age already, 21 to 30 years old, or maybe a little bit younger, a little bit older. That's where we can see these cognitive jumps very quickly. So in the cognitive performers, the people that are really looking for that optimal cognitive function, that they're traveling all the time, this kind of brings into the questions of what type of chamber to use. Because these kinds of people potentially don't need deep chambers. They don't need medical grade chambers, they can probably get away with the soft chambers. These are the chambers that go to about 1.3 atmospheres, which is about 23 feet of seawater equivalent. And these chambers are more in my practice, better for the optimal performers and better for those that are looking at more neurocognitive enhancement. Because neurocognitive pressures are 1.3 to 1.75 or so in the ATA realm, which is about 23 to 29 feet of seawater equivalent or so don't make me ask don't make me do the metric calculation please but <laughs> but um <laughs> but anyway so the soft chambers are portable they can go with you they're really good i think for neurocognitive optimization they can also help with basic aches and pains and muscle soreness related to uh, workouts and recovery in that capacity jet lag they can also give you a bit of an energy boost as well if you're pretty healthy. So I, I like the soft chambers for the optimal performers that are doing either lots of other technologies or they're mostly focused on the neurocognitive optimization. Now, if you really want sort of systemic optimization, then you're really looking at the medical grade chambers, which are below two atmospheres, 2.0 to 2.4 typically. Even for most of our medical indications that are non-neurologic, they're also 2.0 to 2.4 which is 33 to 45 feet of seawater. And that's because you get more of a systemic response to those pressures. At deeper response, you get a bigger stem cell response at the deeper pressures. So for example, I have endurance athletes that I work with. And these guys, what they can do is they can increase their VO2 max or their oxygen carrying capacity. Um, and they can do that by doing 20 to 40 sessions several months before they would be doing their their uh, their races or their whatever it is their competitions and that's going to because that increases vascularization around the heart so that's going to be able to, to provide them more oxygen in a minute to minute basis so that they don't have as much lactic acid build up as fast so that is obviously beneficial during their actual training and their more intensive training then we use it more for uh, recovery from workouts because what hyperbaric therapy is doing we talked about that pressure in the beginning, that pressure is actually pressurizing your blood vessels. It's pressurizing your lymphatics and helping with detox and washout too. 
It's also probably creating more easy water if you're familiar with Gerald Pollock's work. And it's also probably as a result of that easy water helping with just flow in general. So we, I'm sure you've also, you've probably heard of some of the work that's been done uh, by, uh, what's his name? I'm forgetting it right now. He's a colleague of mine. He's in the area. He has a book called The Fourfold Path to Healing. And it's gonna, it's escaping me. But uh, I'll link to it yeah, in the uh, show Tom notes. Cowan. His name is Dr. Tom Cowan. And Tom has this really interesting way of thinking about the heart is just, um, is just a vessel as much less than a pump in the sense. Oh, I, I've read this yeah, book. Yeah. He has a second book too, right? He has a couple. Yeah. Fantastically smart guy. And, you know, we talked about hyperbaric therapy as potentially being a treatment for, uh, for blood vessel blockages in the heart, because what hyperbaric therapy can do is create collaterals. We talked about new blood vessels. Collaterals are blood vessels that are created around an area of injury. So that basically bypass like a natural bypass in the chamber. And so, you know, we have some preliminary ideas that that may be the case, but what he was talking about in this capacity is that if the heart was pumping as hard as it needed to pump to get blood through all of our circulation, it would have to be pumping like 10,000 times harder. So the question is, how does it work? And the way it works is by easy water generation around the blood vasculature, the the lipophilic membranes of the actual endovascular lining, the blood vessel lining. Um, And then as a result of a hyperbaric chamber, creating more of that easy water, you're getting more flow is the is the short so let's just say someone had a calcification in their arteries and i'm speculating here but this could be a method for dealing so with that not necessarily calcification because calcification is the product of inflammation the product of ldl particles the product of other inflammatory things like infections etc um but the blockages that can happen so if you have a stenosis so like if you have a cholesterol plaque that's in an artery and it's either blocking it entirely, <clears throat> excuse me, or it's blocking it partially and blood flow is not getting through. If you're walking around, like if you have, you've heard of like the, the angina uh, prodrome or the angina symptom, which is I'm walking, I get chest pain, I have to stop. That's because the blood flow was trying to ramp itself up, but couldn't because there was a blockage. So the idea would be, can hyperbaric therapy potentially recreate collaterals and not, you know, make the blockage go away, but create blood vessels go around that, that prevent you from having those symptoms. Kind of like, um, like a bypass would, you know, if you're doing a cardiac bypass, um, like a four vessel cabbage or something, you're bypassing blocked vessels, you know, can hyperbaric therapy potentially bypass those vessels more in a more natural way? You know, we don't have the evidence quite yet, but theoretically it makes sense. And I've seen some of this happen clinically, uh, but I haven't, I don't have the imaging to kind of prove it yet, but, but it's a very intriguing concept. We haven't talked about any potential downsides. Are there any downsides to oxygen oversaturation or hyperbaric oxygen therapy? Yeah, so it's an interesting story Uh, for me. The way I got into the optimal performance world was because I had a colleague, his name is Dr. Dom DiAgostino, who you may know. Uh, And so he's done some fantastic work. And his work started with the Office of Naval Research. The Office of Naval Research was studying seals, and seals are not the animal, but the human seals um, that have to be underwater on non-rebreathers, so they can't have any bubbles come to the surface so that their position would be noticed by an enemy, for example. 
So these guys breathe 100% oxygen at deep pressures, okay? Deeper pressures than we even typically go in a hyperbaric chamber. But what can happen at deep pressures is that you can have an oxygen-induced seizure, okay? So that's the, probably the, the, the worst thing that can happen in the chamber. Um, the positive there is that they're preventable, very preventable. Um, and then we know what happened, we know why they happen. And we can actually stop it from, from continuing if it does happen. Oxygen-induced seizures happen when the body gets too much oxygen, and, the, and specifically the brain. And so when they were doing the studies with, uh, with uh, the Navy SEALs, they were, they were looking at, some, at a pressure called 3 ATA. 3 ATA is about 66 feet of seawater. When you give wow. 3 ATA uh, with 100% oxygen, um, you can have a seizure within 15 to 60 minutes at that pressure. So the way you can prevent that, and this is what Dom's work was all about, was giving ketone supplementation. If you gave ketone supplements, you extended the, 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 the depth time, that 3-ATA time, a significant amount, up to 90 minutes in some people, just giving ketones. Because the ketones were preventing oxidative stress because they have the ability to protect the system. So I heard Dom talking about this on a podcast with Dave Asprey back in like 2014. And then I realized that what was happening in the optimal performance com community and that world was very much aligned with the work that I was doing in the chamber. So um, I actually reached out to Dave at that time and he came to visit my hyperbaric facility down in, in San Francisco when he was visiting. And that's how I got involved in the optimal performance world as it is, interestingly enough. Um, but to take it to the, the, the issues that can happen in the chamber, that's the most significant. And, 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 but for the most part, what I say uh, to my clients all the time is that hyperbaric therapy is safer than taking a Tylenol um, and very much safer than taking a Tylenol and, and safer than taking an, like a Motrin or an ibuprofen. But you have to be screened appropriately. You, know, you have to have normal lungs because we're pressurizing the lungs. That's what we're doing to change your physiology to drive more oxygen in the system. You have to have a normal heart. You can't have a heart that's not functioning at optimal capacity. Your ejection fraction has to be above a certain amount to be make sure that you can withstand the pressure as well. It's also going to increase blood pressure a little bit. So you have to have blood pressures that are, that are controlled. If you have diabetes, it's also going to lower your blood sugar in the chamber. So we have to make sure that your blood sugars are a certain level before you go in. Now, on the other end of this, if you're ketogenic, it's actually going to increase your ketone levels. And it does that by one to two points, depending on how ketogenic wow. you are. So <laughs> I have people that do optimal performance, anti-aging uh, protocols where they're actually fasting and they go in with a ketone level of four and their ketone levels go to five or they go up with a two, go in with a two, this is a millimolar, uh, and then they go up to four. <clears throat> so um, it can be used this way as an anti-aging strategy, as an optimal performance strategy. And we're also using it in combination with IV vitamin C in some capacities for like the oxidative effects, sort of one-two punch along with the ketogenic diet or being ketogenic um, to, to protect normal cells, but put more stress on cancer cells or potentially precancerous cells, et cetera. So anyway, um, normal lungs, normal heart, um, and, and a brain that is normal in, in most capacities. But if you have a history of a seizure disorder, history of a stroke or some other brain insult, we just have to make sure that we understand that, modify pressures and modify uh, our treatment protocols for you to make sure that you're safe in the chamber. But as long as you're screened appropriately beforehand, it's a very safe procedure. So, but the biggest thing that people feel in the chamber is ear 
is ear pressure changes. So because it's like being on a plane or if you're on a train, it's that same pressure differentials. And so as you're going down in pressure, you're going to feel that pressure sensation in your ears. When you get down to the pressure that we're gonna be treating you at, you don't feel that pressure sensation at all anymore. You just relax. Um, and then when you come back up at the end, so say you're going from zero to 33 feet of seawater, you're at 33 feet of seawater, then going 33 to zero feet of seawater, it's, it's, it's those pressure different differentiations, those seawater changes, where you're gonna feel that pressure change. Now, the worst thing that can happen is that you can get trauma to your eardrum, um, but for the most part, it, it doesn't happen as long as you are aware that you should be able to clear your ears. If you can't, the pressurization in a chamber can stop at any time. And it can always be shifted up a little bit, down a little bit to get you to pressurize. And 95% and of people have no, no issues with it. So, um, so the pressure in the ears is the most common. And the things that we screen out for are normal hearts, normal lungs, and normal brains. Um, and then if, if there's any issues with any of those three things, the only absolute contraindication, well, there's two. Well, really only one. The, the only absolute contraindication, so the, the only reason you cannot absolutely get into a chamber is if you don't have a lung that's functioning because you have a pneumothorax. Basically, you have an air-filled lung outside of the lung. It's called a tension pneumothorax. Um, or if you're pregnant, you're not supposed to go in if you're pregnant. But, you know, but, I've, but there's actually some good data that kids do fine uh, because where I first learned about hyperbaric therapy was in carbon monoxide poisoning. And we put pa patients in chambers all the time that are pregnant, that have carbon monoxide poisoning, um, and, and the, the kids do fine. Um, and and I saw, that was some of the most amazing things that some of the more amazing things that I saw initially were people that had carbon monoxide poisoning, you know, on ventilators when they went into a chamber and then walk out of a chamber. Fine. I mean, amazing what you can see. So, um, and that's what got me involved in, in hyperbaric medicine to start off with. But those are some of the, the some of the warnings or some of the things that um, the the things that I have to screen out. And that's why I don't recommend people just going into chambers without having a really kind of well thought out plan as to how they're going to be using this and why. And if they're going to buy a soft chamber, they don't just let all their family members go in and just, you know, use it, you know, kind of at will or ad libitum or whatever you want to call it. So, um, and in, in the U.S., it's a prescribed technology. Uh, so I prescribe hyperbaric therapy uh, for my clients, or I have my colleagues around the country prescribe it as well. And, and we, we're very protocol-driven. Uh, at least I am. I'm very protocol-driven, and I'm. And it's, it's, there's also nuances to all of this. So, again, very safe. But I mean, you, you need to be screened. Although I will say, the 1.3, the soft chambers, are really safe. There have been very few issues with those. Uh, what I will also always recommend, though, is that you don't do it without some sort of supervision. So you have somebody that's watching you, uh, somebody that's around, that you're not doing this on your own. And I don't recommend, let me also, let me say this with an emphasis, I don't recommend sleeping in chambers, like sleeping overnight or something like that. It's, this is not a good idea. It's too much oxygen exposure. It's just, it's not overall a good idea, even at soft chamber pressures. There's a couple ways you you know that I I've been working on uh, to help with oxidative stress and oxygen toxicity outside the chamber, like the ketone supplements. By the way, like we talked about, that's a way to do it. Uh, we're also looking at other ways that you can help with sort of oxygen delivery or energy formation, and that's a couple of my colleagues working on those blue tongues that you know about. And then so I've been working on some of that too. It's it's fun. So let's talk a little bit about those blue tongues, Doctor Scott. I know you're affiliated with it, but do you mind? 
just going through what was happening in my mouth and maybe also in my mitochondria when I had the blue tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So Dr. Ted also is, he's the, the, he's the leader behind, he's the formulator, the, uh, the guy that made what you've described it's, and it's called blue canatine. And so Dr. Ted and I are, are involved. I'm on, I'm involved on the nonprofit side. Um, I'm involved in health optimization medicine, creating the coursework, educating doctors and practitioners, and I have my own health optimization medicine practice. But a great privilege of mine is that I get to try all these products that they're making and be a taste tester, be a, a, a tester of the, the, of, the, of the results of how you feel with these certain products. And so what Ted devised was uh, four ingredients specifically, uh, nicotine, caffeine, methylene blue, and CBD. And the idea behind it was a stimulant effect, a cognitive enhancement effect, but an effect that was modulated by CBD in a way that it made it more of a smooth ride. I mean, I don't know how much in how much uh, experience you have with nicotine specifically, but nicotine I like as well. But nicotine sometimes can be kind of jittery, make you sort of hyper, a uh, little bit give you a tremor sometimes. It's it's sharp. And so nicotine and caffeine are great together, but they give you that sharpness and this sort of extreme stimulant, at least for me and some people that are sensitive to these things, too quickly. And so the CBD in there tends to give you a slower rise of this. And, and there's neuroprotective cap- uh, qualities to it. There's also cognitive enhancement qualities to it. And what's happening at the cellular level is, is manifold. I mean, so nicotine is acting at the nicotinic receptor helping with acetylcholine release. And then as a result of that, depending on where it is in the brain, helping with dopamine release, serotonin release, norepinephrine release. This is what stimulants do too, like caffeine as well. Um, Methylene blue is different. It gives you the blue coloring on your tongue, but it's also working like oxygen actually as an electron receptor. Um, But interestingly enough, methylene blue can also help recycle electrons and be an electron donor as well. It's got this wow. really cool history as being the first FDA registered drug in like late 1800s. It was used in a lot of different ways. Um, it was derivations of methylene blue have become psychiatric medications. Interestingly enough, um, it was used as an antifungal and antibacterial back in World War I and World War II before penicillin was really around uh, at high doses. The problem with methylene blue is it tastes like shit. So, um, so people can't really tolerate it orally uh, by itself. And so what we've done is microdose the, or what, you know, what these guys have done, I should say, is they've microdosed the methylene blue with small doses of, of these other, uh, these other uh, compounds as well, sort of with a synergistic, synergistic plan, synergistic idea of how they can work together to create a cognitive enhancement. So typically the, the enhancement feeling is about 15 to, it takes about 15 or 20 minutes or so for it to start rising and then it lasts between three to four hours. And it's, uh, it's an edible, but you don't chew it. You just let it dissolve on the side of your mouth. Um, you, can, you can swish it around if you want to go full Smurf, as they say, because your whole mouth will turn blue. Um, I've been able to sort of perfect the way as I've tested them more of just keeping it on the side of my, my mouth and then keeping like one of the sides of my tongue blue. Um, but I mean, it's kind of funny. I mean, some people like their tongue blue. They think it's cool. Others are, don't like it. Um, but for us, we do feel like, you know, we're creating something here 
um, especially in the setting of uh, of our whole program of health optimization medicine and and this other and then and then this product development company where we're we're addressing on on my side the health focused sustainability over the long term and on the product development side with Ted creating some of the these products this first one especially this nootropic that really addresses cognitive needs now in and but like all these other products whether it be blucanatine or it be any other nootropic you want to have a, a full bank you want to have all this money in your bank of beautiful cells that have with nutrients and 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 your hormones are balanced and your gut is in good working order otherwise you're just starting to like you know you're you're just sort of borrowing credit right even with these nootropics and so eventually even if you're if you're 21 to 30 you're going to get away with it for a while but eventually it's going to catch up to you so our deal here is let's try to create that foundation by but by also also giving people things that are fun that are enhancing that are helpful in the now and and that's what Ted has been so adamant about with 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 blue canopine is like we need something you know Scott there should be something that can really make people feel better cognitively faster along with all the work that we're doing in health optimization medicine so let's turn their tongues blue let's have fun with it and let's enjoy this cognitive ride and and so uh, they should be in production soon um, I think uh, last I heard within the next 30 days or so there's a website it's called Troscriptions. The idea is that we have this formulation called a troche, T-R-O-C-H-E, which is this dissolvable lozenge that I was talking about. So it's a, it's like a prescription, but it's a troscription. So T-R-O scription, troscriptions. And blue canatine is the name and it's on Instagram. There's lots of pictures with blue tongues, my tongue, others, <laughs> other people's tongues like our buddy Tim. So due to our mutual friend, Tim, I had a chance to experience this. And I embraced my inner Smurf. I went full Smurf mode and became the Gene Simmons that I always wanted to be, right? Nice. And the product did exactly what you said. It was fun. Yeah. It gave me that instant boost in both focus and energy, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, so we've gotten really good feedback overall. One of the new pieces of feedback that uh, that I've seen come across is that there is this potential of the combination of of sunlight with the methylene blue because of activation of the methylene blue, interestingly enough. So something you can try when you get some more boomer and then when they come out, the combination seems to be more sort of more cognitively enhancing itself, energizing in some ways, because the methylene blue is not sort of, it, it is probably cognitive enhancing, but it's more of an energy kind of feel. And so they've done studies on methylene blue before and it tends to con concentrate where there's more mitochondria. So there's a lot of mitochondria in your brain, there's a lot of mitochondria in your heart. So they're testing it with athletes, they're testing it with optimal performers, they're testing it for recovery. I'm testing it in my chambers for things like traumatic brain injury and stroke and some other interesting things. So um, working on some other, I'm always working on something, but um, that's one of the newer things that I'm working on, working on along with some other uh, mineral supplementation and some other things to help kind of enhance the ability to harness the power of hyperbaric therapy in in the chamber, you know, using materials and technologies and 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 compounds, you know, before and after kind of thing. So blue canatine is fun, and I and I, again I I've done full smurf, smurf, full smurf. I've done subtle smurf. I've done partial smurf. I've done uh, you know, lots of things. You know, like you know uh, the mullet smurf, kind of the back of the tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Sher, this has been an absolute pleasure. 
I want to transition into the four horsemen, our sure. final four questions, if you will. Sure. First one, how do you unwind? Ah, unwinding. So I have four kids too. I don't know if you know that, Boomer. So, um, I so did not I, know that. You know, when I go home, um, I like to be a kid. So uh, I think as an adult, we forget how to be a kid. We want to be old very quickly. We want to be like an adult. So uh, there's a lot of, I mean, I love having my kids for a lot of reasons and they've taught me a lot. Uh, but I think one of the main things, uh, I have a two-year-old and he's like my little buddy. I have three girls and I have the boy who's two. And he, um, he just wants to hang out. He wants to play. He wants to take me places. He wants, he wants, he wants, he wants, he wants, to, wants me to throw him around. And, and so I get to be a kid. And being a kid and play is a fantastic way to wind down. And so I recommend it to everybody. Um, except if you're like a, an elder, like an older male without any kids, I wouldn't go to playgrounds because it looks strange. Okay. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's it's, a little, it's a little shady. So, um, but, but play is good. And so whatever that means to you, I think play is great. Uh, unwinding for me also, I love my infrared sauna. Uh, when I, when I found out that I was having our fourth, I got my own room in my house, a very small house South of San Francisco. Um, because I knew there wasn't going to be much space left. So uh, the infrared sauna is a place I meditate. It's a place that I, I read. It's a place that I sweat, obviously. And um, it's a really great way for me to kind of unwind after my day. And it puts me right to bed after, uh, after I shower, of course, afterwards. So those are probably the two main ways. And I think the third way would be uh, meditation. Um, I, I really do try uh, to meditate uh, at least two to three times a day. And not for huge amounts of time. I'm not somebody that needs to spend or that really has the time to spend several hours of meditation a day. Um, I feel like 10 to 20 minutes, three times a day is great. And then I also try to take about five to 10 minutes every hour to just take some deep breaths and just kind of come back into my own person. So, uh, and that, and that usually helps. So those are the ways. Top trick for enhancing your focus, your number one trick. Number one trick for enhancing my focus. Well, these days, I mean, it's honestly blue canatine. I mean, because it's, uh, I mean, I, I have a supply because I get to test them. And I've, I mean, there are others. Um, I would say that one has been my favorite lately because I've been getting to try it and, and helping, to, helping with that process in my own sort of R&D way. Um, I also... What's another one that I really like? I really like exercise, even small amounts of exercise. Just, you know, one of the things that uh, I didn't tell you about, but I had a, a patient that, with a traumatic brain injury that was suicidal. And um, he was in his car at the beach. And I, I told him to get out of his car and just jump up and down 10 times with his hands as high above his head as he could. And he got, and get back in the car afterwards and talk to me. And, and he felt you know, amazingly better. I mean, it didn't feel like a million bucks, but he felt much better. So being able to change your state very quickly with just a little bit of exercise um, or a little bit of movement, even I should call it, is is really helpful. So I try to do that in my own life. And I, I talk to my kids about it all the time, and uh, it's a good way to get them out of their, you know, their tantrums or whatever, you know, to talk to them about something random uh, or tell them to start jumping up and down with me, and they like they look at me funny and they stop crying. So it works. What book has significantly impacted your life and your ability to show up and perform in it? Mm, there's been a lot of great books in my life. Um, the The book that I'm uh, there's the book that I'm reading right now that I think is really interesting. It's I haven't really spoken a lot about this 
in this podcast, but and I'm sure you have, or maybe will in others. Um, it's called Stalking the Wild Pendulum. It's a it's an old book. It's it's from the 1980s. It's about it's sort of like a rudimentary but very sort of like futuristic way of understanding uh, human consciousness in the world and uh, and energy and vibration and sound. So I I really find myself always coming back to now the idea of sort of this holobiont, like I said, right? Like this, we're this, we're this sort of amalgam or conglomeration of all this different types of living stuff. But what it comes down to all at its basic level is atoms and electrons, right? And so I've even watched, I mean, it's kind of crazy. I've like, I watched the magic school bus with my kids and they talk about like zooming in and how everything's electricity and magnetism, right? And, and so like at its baseline, that's all we are. We are this sort of we are these electromagnets. We are these, these sort of energy beings, you know? And so that's been very helpful for me to sort of understand consciousness a little bit better and perspective. And so I really, from sort of a otherworldly sort of multiverse perspective, I would say that has been a really, it's been a really great book. I'm reading it now. Um, and then another book that really, uh, really changed a lot several years ago was a book called, uh, it's called Habits. It's called The Habit Book. It was written by Charles Duhigg, uh, who was a New York Times bestseller. And it was really interesting for me to hear some of his use cases of habits and how they can be changed and social constructs about how, uh, how people get jobs, number one, sort of like weak contacts and strong contacts and cornerstone habits like exercise, which change everything else in your life if you can just change one thing. So, and then how habits are made and how habits are broken. And so that was a really transformative book for me too. Dr. Scher, this has been an absolutely incredible show. Where can people find out more about you? So uh, if you're looking for the Blue Tongues, like I said, uh, Troscriptions is the website. Blue Canatine is the name. And they're on Instagram. And there's there's a website with an email sign-up, I believe, uh, where you can be one of the first to get it. Hopefully they're coming soon. Um, I'm lucky that I've been able to get to try it, but not everybody has yet. And, and I know that. Um, and so that's that. If for my own work in hyperbaric medicine, um, I have a website dedicated to that. It's integrativehbot.com and a Facebook site or Facebook business site that has the same name, I-N-T-E-G-R-A-T-I-V-E, integrative, and the letters H-B-O-T.com. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Scott Schur, and I have my own health-focused practice that I was describing, pioneered by my colleague, Dr. Ted, called Health Optimization Medicine. Uh, there's the nonprofit, which is healthoptimizationmedicine.org. But my own personal practice is home-sf.co. So that's a lot of links. But if you really just want to find one or two, just go to Instagram at Dr. Scott Schur, at Transcriptions for the blue canatine. And from there, you know, you'll find me if you just Google my name too. That's cool too. Or whatever search engine you choose if you don't like Google and Big Brother. We will link to all of this in the show notes at decodingsuperhuman.com slash HBOT. Dr. Scher, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an amazing education. It is my pleasure. And thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be able to throw all of this in my context and then, but try to make it a universal context, right? And I hope somebody, I hope you all, at least everybody here finds some little point that will be beneficial to them. But just remember, and I'm sure you'll put this in your show notes, Boomer, but none of this should be construed as your own personal medical advice. So please call your doctor, talk to who you trust to create your own personalized plans for you. And don't take any of this as something that I said that you should absolutely do. 
please. Um, but in that context, I hope you got something out of it. <laughs> to all the superhumans listening, have an epic day. Wow, superhumans. Like I said earlier, this episode was absolutely mind-blowing for me. We got into everything from consciousness to the effects of oxygen on senescent cells to how we can use hyperbaric oxygen therapy to reverse certain chronic diseases. If you want to check out the show notes, including links to things like blue canatine, you could go to decodingsuperhuman.com slash HBOT. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. And if you really enjoyed this episode, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. Everything always helps. Have an absolutely epic day, superhumans. 